I'm so glad that you're here after Christmas. You made it despite the cold. And if you didn't come because you're home or out of town watching online, we're so glad that you're with us as well. Uh, this is our 8.30 service. We've adopted it as the Morris Campus service. A lot of you guys are like, I am all in for the Morris Campus. Some of you are like, I just like to go to church first thing in the morning. And that's totally good. You're all here. But just thank you for the people who are either uh, here with us or online that have said, hey, we're dedicated to helping the Morris campus happen, and we've just encouraged that group to worship together. We've got people serving right now, maybe holding your kids, or they welcomed you on the way in and things like that. All people from the Morris campus, band members getting ready to help us launch a campus in Morris. And we're going through this series called Living Hope, which is really a look at what Luke wrote about Jesus. He wrote a biography all about Jesus' life, his teachings, what he said, what he did, how he treated people. He started with his birth. He goes all the way through his death and resurrection. And so it was fitting to start that at Christmas time. And we looked at the prophecies about Jesus and the coming of the Christ child. But we're going to stick with this series, Living Hope, now. Um, through Easter, and we'll just be able to learn directly from who Jesus was, what he said, how he lived, how he treated people, and look at what that means to us. And so um, this whole idea that Jesus is alive and he offers hope, and what we're going to see today is that he offers real, lasting, true hope that you cannot have apart from him. And if you're watching or you're with us and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, uh, we, we're so glad that you're here. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to like act like us or you don't have to believe what we believe to show up. But we do hope that eventually you will put your hope in Jesus alone for your salvation. But even as believers in Jesus, we can drift away from our living our hope in Jesus. And so that's what we're talking about today. So after a year like 2020, you know, we used to do a huge New Year's party. I don't know if you guys got New Year's plans or New Year's traditions or if COVID has affected your New Year's plans. But typically we ring in the new year. This year we're just shoving out the old year, right? Like we just can't wait for 2021. This is what a lot of people are putting their hope in. Maybe you have thought, I can't wait to flip that calendar. 2020 has been a tough year. It's been a long year. We've seen people's dreams and hopes just kind of shattered or put on hold. Their plans, schedules, vacations, everything's been messed up. Our lifestyle, a lot of your job situations have either been uh, interrupted or, or sketchy because of 2020, 2020 was such a tough year. And so a lot of people are putting their hope in next year, next week, 2021 will be better. It's a post-pandemic hope that we're hoping we can rip our masks off, go back to school, and return to life as we know it. It's a vaccine hope. It's a new year, new me hope. Maybe it's not about COVID. It's just a resolution. I'm going to join a gym or, or whatever. I'm going to get back into God's word and all those promises that are really good that we want to do. And so we put our hope in next year. It's a new president hope this time. Every four years that might happen. It's a weight loss hope. It, it could be a lot of things. And maybe we don't say it out loud, but we realize that sometimes we put our hope in next year. As a Cub fan, we did this for a long time. Wait till next year was our slogan, right? We always had next year. We weren't going to get any good players or change anything. We were going to keep the same manager. But, you know, wait till next year. We just had that hope. And so uh, we do this. And so uh, what we're going to look at is uh, what we're calling I hope foe, right? And faux, like fake, false, like maybe you're wearing a, a faux uh, leather coat or a faux fur coat. Maybe at home you walk on faux wood floors. I drink out of my fake, my faux Yeti mug, right, because I'm too cheap to get the real one. And so we have a lot of, of fake things, false things. You know, there's all kinds of weird things like uh, fake 
faux Christmas trees, or maybe you had turkey bacon, and it should just be called faux bacon, because that's not real bacon, right? Or even vegan burgers, that's just a false, fake, you know, counterfeit version of a real burger. And we can do this with our hope. We can do this as Christians or as people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. We can put our hope in false things. We can have a fake, false, faux hope. And so um, if you've got a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 3. We're going to look at uh, the beginning of Luke chapter 3 this morning. And this is really a biography that uh, Dr. Luke investigates and writes down about Jesus. And after uh, in, you know, Luke chapter 2, we read about Mary and Joseph and the baby and all that that we celebrated if you're a part of our Christmas Eve services. And then Luke chapter 3, he kind of fast forwards a few years to uh, Jesus' relative, John, we call him John the Baptist. I, I don't know if that's actually his last name. That would be ironic. But, you know, Mr. and Mr. Baptist, it's a boy. You know, what do you want to name him? But anyways, we call him John the Baptist because he started baptizing people. And we still do that. And we do that in the name of Jesus. And he kind of did that ahead of Jesus. And he was sent just a few months older. We read about this in Luke chapter 1. He was this miracle baby that came and he was literally called to prepare people for the coming of the Messiah. Because like for over 400 years they had been waiting for their Messiah to come. And they had been waiting with bated breath. They had prophecies. They probably sang songs. They, you know, they couldn't wait for this to happen. And and John the Baptist shows up as that prophet and says, get yourselves ready because the time has come. The Messiah is coming. And so we're going to look, look at Luke chapter 3. And in the first verse, he says this, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. And then he goes on and he talks about who else was governors and who was in charge. And what I love about the way Luke investigates and writes is that he is always historically accurate. He doesn't leave this up to like, oh, maybe that was fable. Maybe he was just, you know, telling a nice story. He's like, no, this is the time that it happened. This is the year that it happened. Here's who was in charge. It'd be like if I was trying to tell you guys, you know, 50 years from now, when the coronavirus first started. It might be like in the third year of President Trump, while J.B. Pritzker was, pres uh, was governor of Illinois and Errol McFadden was the pastor of Michigan. You know, he, he lists who the priests were and who the governors were because he wants to make sure that his readers know exactly where this happened, exactly when this happened. He's setting the the the, you know, the environment and the setting for the story. And he's always historically accurate. Just like, you know, there really was a Tiberius Caesar, there really was a Jesus. Okay? And so he goes on, we pick up here in the next verse, he says, in that year, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah. He hadn't earned the nickname the Baptist yet, but that's, that's who, if you ever heard of John the Baptist, that's this John. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus is born as a baby. He's now growing into a man. And um, John is like preaching that the Messiah will come and you need to turn from your sins to this Messiah. See, the Jewish people had these customs and rituals and sacrifices that they had to offer and prepare and bring uh, to, to receive forgiveness for their sins. And he's pointing to the Messiah, the once and for all sacrifice for all their sins. He says, repent from your sins. And I want to view this word, repentance. Okay? The NIV application Bible uh, and concordance talks about this as changing your mind. He's telling the people, you need to change your mind. You need to change what you're focused on to focus on Jesus. You need to change what you put your hope in so that you can put your hope. See, if you're going to put your hope in Jesus, you have to first make sure you're not putting your, your hope in a faux hope, a fake hope, a false hope. 
And John knew that these people needed to change their mind. If you've got your Bibles open, uh, I didn't put this one on the screen, but in verse 8, this is what he says to them. He says to the crowd, produce fruit, which means let things come out of your life. Not just what you say, but actually change your mind so that it changes the way you live. Produce fruit, keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is ready at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And what we see here is the first faux hope that John the Baptist talks about um, is, I'm going to skip that, is this idea of a national hope. And he says to the crowd, don't put your hope in the fact that you're Jewish or that your parents were Jewish, or that you're a child of Abraham, because that was a, a good thing, that was a big deal, that was something that people would be proud of. But he says, that's not going to get it done. That's a, that's a faux hope. That's not going to work out in the end for you. That's not going to save you, and that's not where you should fix your hope to. John knew that if they wanted to receive their Jewish Messiah, they had to get over their Jewish heritage. And so he says, don't put your hope in the fact that you're anything except for who Jesus is. And the crowd asks him, what should we do then? Okay, if, if we're going to change our mind, what should we do? And John answers the crowd. And this is really interesting. His answer, how can we change our mind? How can we repent? How can we, you know, get rid of fake hope? And his answer is, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who does, has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. See, this seems like a surprise that they're like, how do we change our mind? You'd think he would lead them in a prayer, right? Or he'd, he'd read some scripture to them. Instead, he says, really, it's about producing fruit from your life. It's changing your mind so that it changes how you live, how you treat people. And he says, it's, it's as simple as, you know, you know, just like Dumb and Dumber. If you've got two pairs of gloves and your friend has cold hands, you should offer him the other pair of gloves, right? Like, this is what a good Christian would do, right? If you've got food and someone's hungry, then help feed the hungry. It, he's saying you put into practice where your hope really comes from. And if you're just, oh, I'm Jewish and you're not, I don't, have to, I don't have to help you. But if you say, my hope is in Jesus, a living hope that changes my heart and comes out of my life, I will live differently. He's addressing this idea of national hope, nationalistic, that just because you're a child of Israel uh, doesn't save you and is not something that you should put your hope in. Sometimes we might do this as Americans or whatever family heritage you came from, or, or like we, we get all excited about who we are or where we've come from or what, who we're attached to, and we, and we can accidentally put our, our hope in something fake. When Jesus comes on in the next couple chapters and he starts teaching, he teaches the same idea that the closer you get to God, the more generous, generous you are with your lifestyle, with your resources, with all that you have. The closer you get to God, you move from holding on to resources to using your resources to be a blessing. From focusing on protecting you, your money and your stuff to uh, providing for others with your money. This is kind of a theme of the Gospels that Jesus brings. And John the Baptist says it right away. He says, do you want to change your mind? Change it so that it really comes out of your life. And then... John's little speech gets into a couple groups of people that were actually surprising that they would have come out to the Jordan River to be baptized, right? He talks to swindlers and soldiers. The, the swindlers are the tax collectors, and it's a surprise that they're even there. But they realize that they have sin problems, and they show up to hear this guy talk about it. And so they, I think they're starting to be convinced. So even the tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? And he says, don't collect any more 
than you're required of them. See, what tax collectors would do is they would have to come and bang on your door or, you know, collect your taxes and then turn it into the, the government, but they would upcharge you, and that's how they kind of, like, would make sure they could drive a, a, you know, a new leased vehicle every three years or whatever. And so he's like, stop doing that. Do your job. You have to collect money, but don't collect extra. You're lying. You're cheating. You're extorting money from people. It's wrong, and you know it's wrong. And if you want to change your mind so that it changes your life, make it real simple. Put your faith in Jesus. Put your hope in him instead of what you can get from other people. And then the soldiers speak up. Some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Just like the tax collectors, these soldiers were hated by the people because they would lie and they would cheat and they would steal. And if a soldier accused you of something, you were as good as convicted. And, and if they wanted you to bribe them, you basically felt like you had to because you had no other choice. And he says, stop taking advantage of people. And be content with your pay. Put your faith in Jesus as your provider rather than yourself and what you can get for yourself or from other people. See, John is introducing us to a second faux hope, financial hope. And this is one that as Americans, maybe we don't feel all that privileged and prideful about being American, but a lot of times we put our hope in our finances. What we can make, what we can save, how our 401k is doing, the things that we own, the things that we drive. And financial hope is a fake hope that a lot of us tend to drift towards. And we start to worry about how I'll provide. And we should focus on providing for our families. We should focus on being wise with our, our, our money and spending wisely. And it's okay to enjoy things and, and plan for retirement. All that is good. But when we start to trust in ourselves, it takes us away from our real and living hope in Jesus. And he says, don't put your, your hope in a false, fake, faux hope that's financial. And the people back then struggled with that just like we do today. We haven't changed all that much. Here's a question I want you to ask as far as financial hope. Which is more influential in your daily decisions, your finances or your faith? This is a hard question because we make financial decisions all day, every day. How much do I want to spend on lunch? Where are we going to go on vacation? How much do I have to put in the gas tank? There's little and big financial decisions that we make all the time. And we have our bank accounts and our credit card statements and all these things that tell us how we're doing. And we look at what we need and what we have and where we're headed. And can I get some extra income? Will I get a promotion next year? And all these things. And we start to trust ourselves. And it's easy to drift, even if you don't want to, to where you realize, accidentally, my finances influence my decisions more than my faith does. And if that's true, then your faith is in a faux hope, a fake, false hope that won't deliver, doesn't have real promise. It might deliver sometimes. You might feel like, I'm making it happen this year. Things are good. And then all of a sudden, they're not. For whatever reason, unexpected health issues, 2020 job loss or layoff, and all of a sudden, your financial hope is... Um, you know, exposed as the fake hope that it is. When your hope is in Jesus, you, you live differently. You are freed to feel differently. You trust in him as your provider. You feel like you do your part, but I can trust that he is good, that he is for me, and that he will provide. These decisions are more than just decisions. They're a reflection of misplaced hope. 
Hope that's intended to be grounded in Jesus alone. And God's words challenge us. They challenge us to change our minds about what we focus on and to change our hearts and what our hope is in. So he looks at a national hope. He looks at a financial hope. And then um, there's a third hope that we see. And this is a little less expected. Verse 15, the next verse. The people were waiting expectantly. This is talking about the, these Jewish people that knew there was supposed, they heard from their great-grandpa that this Messiah was coming. They were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. See, this guy was a miracle baby that they heard about, these old people they couldn't have kids to begin with. And they, they knew this guy grew up, and he was special, and he lived differently, and he seemed holy, and he seemed wise, and his words seemed so powerful because the Holy Spirit was with him. And so they start saying, maybe this guy is the Messiah. And the third hope that sometimes we drift into is what we call faith leader hope. And you'll see what John says. Like, no, 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 don't worship me. He points them towards Jesus. But we do this sometimes accidentally. Maybe the reason, the way that you put your faith in Jesus was because of an influential person in your life. A small group leader, a pastor, a parent, a friend, someone that you looked up to, that you've learned from. And so we put so much stock in their lifestyle and in their faith and in, in, in who they are. And then when they disappoint us, it, it tears apart our faith because it's a fake hope. A lot of people, you know, I was a youth pastor for a long time and I grew up, I loved youth group, which probably why I wanted to be a youth pastor. And I've seen teenagers who attach their hope to the youth pastor. And if that guy fails or dies or leaves the church for any reason, good or bad, it, it, it drastically affects their faith. Maybe it's because they're young and they're teenagers and they're, you know, uh, so open to be influenced. But if we have to help people attach their faith to Jesus alone and not to our, our actions, our words, our beliefs. And we have to make sure that our hope is not in some faith leader. Not, not a holy person, not a great pastor, not an amazing wise friend that we put our hope in Jesus alone. And so he says, don't worship me. Here's what John says. Next verse, John answers them all. I baptize you with water. See, they were going to the Jordan River, and he says, do you repent? Are you, are you trying to change your mind? Are you repenting that you are a sinner? And he baptizes them in water as a symbol that they want to change. But one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Now, this is an interesting phrase, because if you uh, were wealthy, you might have servants or even slaves. And when you walked in with your dirty, nasty feet, they would stoop down and untie your sandals for you. And if you were on a trip, they might carry your sandals for you. And it was like a lowly servant or slave job. And what John is saying is, I'm not even worthy to be his servant. That's how holy this guy is. Don't worship me. <laughs> I am just the messenger. I am not the Messiah. And he says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It's not just a symbol. He will literally save you from your sins. He will put his spirit upon you. He will change your life for eternity. Don't worship me. And he goes on. And he says, his, Jesus' winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now this made sense to them because they like dealt with wheat. And most of you guys are gluten-free. And you're, if you say that word, you'll like your tongue will swell up. But like... They knew what he was talking about. That they would go through with these tools and, and sift out the good stuff from the bad stuff and they would burn the chaff. They would burn the garbage. And he says, he's coming and he wants to save people from their sins. He's coming as the Savior. And then he will come again as the judger of all things. That we will all stand before God and he will look at who has accepted his son and who hasn't. 
and, other, and, and the ones who know Jesus will be exalted to heaven and the others will be swept away like the chaff that gets thrown in unquenchable fire. And then it says this in verse 18. And with many other words, John extor- exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. This idea of good news is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came to live a life as a man so that we could know him and be known by him, that he died an innocent death to pay the price for our sins, and he was born, resurrected from the dead to show that he was more powerful than death or sin or hell, and that he offers forgiveness and eternal life to all who believe. And we don't know what else John says to the crowd, but he's preaching to them this good news of who Jesus is. And they're saying, yes, we want to follow that guy. And eventually Jesus walks by and he's like, there he is. Stop listening to me and follow the real thing. Stop eating turkey bacon and get yourself some juicy, extra thick cut pork bacon, okay? There he goes. He's the real deal. John the Baptist is teaching us very clearly that our hope should be in Jesus alone and nothing else. It's not Jesus and my job. It's not Jesus and my national heritage. It's not Jesus and my youth pastor or my small group leader. It's not Jesus and anything else. It's Jesus alone. Which brings us back to 2021. We're ending a year where people's lives have been turned upside down. They, people have used the word hopeless probably more often than, than most years. And we're just hoping and praying that 2021 starts to get better. But in Jesus, you can have hope regardless of what year it is, regardless of who's president, regardless of what's going on with your finances or in your family or anything else in our country, because our hope is not in next year. Our hope is not in a job promotion. Our hope is not in some really wise friend or great leader. Our hope is in Jesus alone who never fails. It's, it's lasting hope. It's, that's why we say living hope. He, he raised from the dead. He lives in heaven. He is our hope. But then he wants us to live out hope, to live hopefully, to live a life that's full of hope that people can't possibly know without knowing Jesus. And John says, I want you to change your minds. I want you to repent of what you've put your hope in so that you can turn and shift your hope to the real thing. You know the phrase, don't get your hopes up, Right? People say that because they're like, oh, I don't, you're, they know that if you get your hopes up, you will be disappointed. And I feel like John the Baptist to the crowd is saying, don't get your hopes up unless it's in Jesus. No matter who you are, who you think you are, who you came from, what you got, what you don't got, what you earn, where you live, who you go to school with, what church you go to, who your priest is, don't get your hopes up because they will surely be disappointing in the end. And he points the crowd to Jesus and he says, put your hope only in Jesus. So here's my question as we wrap up. What do you tend to put your hope in instead of Jesus? And maybe you're a believer in Jesus. You're like, no, my hope is in Jesus. But, it, you know, we have seasons in our lives. We have ups and downs, good days and bad days, long, droughtful seasons sometimes. And what is it for you that when you're honest, you're like, this is what I, I kind of swing towards. This is what I can even accidentally put my hope in. Maybe it's your job or your financial uh, situation. Your ability to close the deal or make the sale. Maybe it's some other ability that you possess or, or your popularity in your friend group. Maybe it's your health or your future or your kids' future for a lot of us. Maybe it's your dating life or, or your marriage or, or some relationship. Maybe it's weight loss or income gain, new friends, old habits. It could be your church, your small group leader, or a pastor. We tend to drift towards a lot of other things that we can accidentally put our hope in. What is it for you? And what if that thing doesn't go so well in 2021. How will, how will that affect you? How will that affect you emotionally, mentally, 
spiritually? How will your faith be? How, how will your life and your family be if that thing that you sometimes put your hope in or maybe you always have your hope in doesn't deliver? When you put your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, you put your hope in him as well. And if you trust him with the forgiveness of your sins and your eternal soul, you can trust him with your day-to-day life. Not that he makes everything easy, he makes you constantly happy, never have a bad day, but that you say, he is with me, he is for me, he is good, like we sang this morning. He is my living hope, and so I am living hope in him. There's an old hymn. And I don't sing a ton of hymns, but there's a few that I remember from as a kid. And there's this one, uh, it's called, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. And the guy that wrote it sang it like this. He said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I love that phrase, nothing less. He's saying anything other than Jesus is less than Jesus, right? Anything other than Jesus is less than Jesus. And it's not worth putting your hope in. So he says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus, his blood and his righteousness. And the Course says, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. It gives us great picture of standing on a solid rock versus sinking in sand. And that's the difference of where our hope lies. And we can accidentally sometimes slide into faux hopes. Fake, false, disappointing I love the end of this hymn because he says, uh, when he comes back, he says, I'll be dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. He says, when when God calls me home and I stand before my maker, it's not going to be anything else that I put my hope in except for Jesus' righteousness. I'll be dressed in that. And I will stand before Jesus faultless because of who Jesus is and what he's done. I remember my, um, my very first weekend at college. Uh, I go and the new students had to come like extra early for orientation and all. So it's, it's a bunch of people who had never been there before. And then a few like upperclassmen who were either important or volunteering or running a club or something like that. And I knew one guy from my church that actually went to this college. His name was Justin. So I ended up, he was there early helping out like the, the young guys like me. And so he was doing his thing and I was meeting my people on my floor. And then we were hanging out one night because he's my only friend at school. It's my, my very first night. And so he introduces me to this other guy that's a couple years older. His name's Dave. And I'll never forget it, because I'm walking out with, with Justin, and Dave's coming this way. And uh, Justin's like, hey, here's Dave. This is Eric. I wanted you guys to meet. And, I'll, and Dave just kind of looks at me, and he looks at Justin, and he says, well, any friend of Justin's a friend of mine. And like, you've heard people say that, but this guy meant it. Like, he called me that night. On, we had, like, old phones attached to the walls in each dorm room. And uh, I ended up playing on the volleyball team. And I'd never played volleyball before, but I thought it was a cool sport. Dave talked me into it. Because I mentioned, mentioned it, you know, and he's like, he went after me to make sure it happened. And then he got me a job on campus. He's like, don't worry. So, like, by the end of my first weekend, I had friends. I was in a club. I had a job. And this guy was, like, a really good friend. And he just, like, kind of set his mind to be my friend because I was a friend of Justin. And like, we got along really well, had a great friendship. He still follows up with me. And uh, I'm so thankful for his friendship and how simple it was that he just said, okay, if you're with Justin, you're with me. Two years later, I'm one of these upperclassmen guys, and there's a freshman on my floor. We called him B-Turtle. His real name was Brian, but anyways, me and B-Turtle, we're walking out of the same building, and here comes Dave. Now, I don't know why he went to school for like eight years, but he's still around. And anyways, I'll never forget this because I can't make this stuff up. Me and B. Turtle are walking out. I barely know him, right? He's a new guy on the floor. I've known him for like two days, but he's on my floor. I'm hanging out with him. And here comes Dave. So I'm like, hey, this is Dave. And Dave looks at me, and he looks at B. Turtle, and he's like, well, if you're a friend of Eric's, you're a friend of mine. 
And he starts telling him to play volleyball, and he becomes his friend too. It was just that simple for him. And someday, when you stand before the creator of heaven and earth, and he gets to decide who, whose soul goes on forever in heaven, it doesn't matter anything else you've said or done. It doesn't matter what else you could put your hopes in. All that matters in that moment is your relationship with Jesus. And if you've put your hope, your faith in Jesus alone as your Savior, God will look at you and he'll look at his son. And he will say, well, if you're a friend of my son, you're a friend of mine. Better than that, he'll say, if you know my son, you're a child of mine. Welcome home. And it's not because of your finances or any other decision that you've ever made. All the other things that we could put our hope in seem so insignificant compared to who Jesus is to us forever. And God will say, when you put your faith in my son, you're a friend, you're a son or daughter of mine, welcome home. Nothing else will matter. And when we pause and think about it, we know it. And we say, we need to change our minds. We need to focus our hope on Jesus and Jesus Alone. So here's how I want to uh, close out this morning. I want to just give you a moment to just um, bow your head and talk to God. And, and maybe for you, you need to like change your mind, just like the people in the story, to say, hey God, I have put my, my hope in a fake hope, in a faux hope, in something other than you, and I don't want to drift towards that. I don't want to live in that. You are my living hope. If you're at home or if you're watching online, uh, I want you to do this too. Just take the next moment and just talk to God. Ask God, what is it that drifts into my life that gets in my way of putting my hope in you? And as we look towards 2021, we don't want to say, I hope 2021 is better. We could say, I can't wait to walk with God through whatever comes in 2021. So I just want to give you a moment right where you're at just to bow your head and, and talk to God. Ask him what it is in your heart and tell God that you want to put your hope in him and him alone. As we head into a new year, let it be a year where our hope is fixed on Jesus Christ and nothing else. The Apostle Paul says it like this in Colossians 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. And he is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. We slip into focusing on earthly things. But we can set our minds and our hearts on things above and live in hope because of who Jesus is. Would you stand and we'll pray together before we head out. God, I thank you for whatever it is that you're whispering to hearts in this room and even in people's homes. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak loud and clear to our hearts. If there's anything that we need to change our minds to shift from, if there's any fake faux hopes that we've been focusing on, I pray that you would, you would help us to let go of that and put our hope only in you that we would say nothing else, anything other than you is less than you. Help us to set our minds on things above, on, on heavenly things where you are. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are, for what you've done, that you offered yourself to pay for our, our sin, 
And then we put our faith in you. We put our hope in you. We receive eternal life. I pray for anyone right now who, who's never made that decision, that they've never trusted you as their Savior. Holy Spirit, that you would knock on the door of their heart, that you would help them to understand that they can come home. Nothing else matters except for their relationship with you. Make that real in their hearts this morning. God, for the rest of us who have known you for however long, I pray that we will go into this new year not hoping, not hoping in anything else but living hope in Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.